This is a work of fiction. Honest. Ragbag Presents Brollywood, Episode 7, written and performed by Frank Burton. The story you're listening to right now is being released as a book, by the way. It will also be called Brollywood. It's the third in the Ragbag series, the first two being Everything I Am and Getting Away With It. Don't worry if you're not familiar with those books or the original podcast that spawned them. This is a good place to start. If you like what you hear, please consider supporting this show by buying several copies of all three books and giving them away to everyone you know, or just give one book to one person. That's a reasonable start. Let's get on with the story. A few hours later, Noddy and I were sitting on opposite ends of a bench, sipping on takeaway coffees beneath our face masks. I honestly can't wait for next week, said Noddy breezily. It's like that old cliche of the legendary thief who emerges from hiding to pull off one last job. That's me. You know how those stories tend to end though, right? I said. I see what you mean, he said. This is something of a unique situation though, right? There's no chance of being arrested. Even if Brawley would figure out what we're doing, they won't involve the police. They won't harm you either. They're actors. It's like a strange piece of experimental theatre with no audience. It's fascinating, actually. Remind me what your end game is again, I said. End game? What do you actually hope to achieve from all this? I understand what we're doing. We're stealing the money before the hand get a chance to. And then what? They'll break in and discover a vault filled with fake stacks of cash? Didn't I mention the next part? said Noddy. I'm not sure if you did. We're leaving them a note. It'll be right there in plain sight on top of the money they wanted to steal. It'll say, we know who you are. We know why you're here. We have your money. We would very much like to hear from you. Call this number. Let's talk. Right, I said. You don't sound too impressed, said Noddy. I'm just wondering if there's more to it than that. You've orchestrated this whole escapade on the off chance that the hand are going to pay you the courtesy of a phone call. I wouldn't call it an off chance, said Noddy. They will call that number. I will finally get to speak to the hand. And yes, a phone call with the hand may not sound like much, but it means more to me than I can properly articulate, Frank. What will you talk to them about? I haven't quite decided yet, said Noddy. I expect the same could be said for a whole bunch of other people in similar situations. Try posing that question to a UFO enthusiast. How would they actually respond if aliens landed in their backyard? Or the biggest Beatles fan you've ever known? How would they respond if John, Paul, George and Ringo turned up on their doorstep one morning? What would they say to them? I think my first question would be, aren't most of you dead now? What I'm trying to say is I don't actually know what the end game is. Actually, I do know. The end game for me is to make some kind of contact with the hand. 
That beetle's analogy is an interesting one, I said. Is that how you feel about the hand? Are they your equivalent of a favourite band? Yes, said Noddy, and not just me. The hand are the entire community's favourite band. That's why this is such an exciting prospect. That's good to know, I said. I wasn't quite clear on your motivations. This is very nice, by the way, Noddy added. Sitting on a bench together, after all these years. I agree, I said. It's great to see you. You were my only civilian friend, you know. I've made contact with various members of the public over the years, whenever a job requires me to do so, but I never went as far as befriending anyone from outside the community. It's a breach of the guidelines, for one thing. This is what I wanted to talk to you about, I said. I wanted to know more about your relationship with the outside world. As I say, said Noddy, I haven't really got one. Were you protecting me in prison? Noddy stopped moving altogether for a moment. He laughed just for a moment, then stopped himself. He gazed into the distance thoughtfully. That's a very good question, he said. I wish I could say yes, but that wouldn't be accurate. Clearly you were considered untouchable due to your association with me, but your only link to me was the fact that we shared a cell, a decision made by somebody else. In other words, Frank, you got lucky inside. If you'd shared a cell with anybody else, no doubt you'd have had a very different incarceration. So you admit you were feared in there? Absolutely, I was, yes. How? Why? The question actually is when? Is it? Yes, that's the question. Okay, um, when? When did I become feared in prison? I think that's what I'm asking, yes. Noddy gazed into the distance again. Was that the wrong question, I said? It was the right question, he said. I'm just searching for the right answer. There are two or three stories that explain the whole thing. I'm just trying to figure out which one I should tell you first. I suppose you should know my reasons for being in prison in the first place. I never told you that, did I? Any questions you had on that subject were shrugged off with some vague explanation about serving a short prison sentence just to see what it was like. None of this was true, as you probably gathered already. It's true that I deliberately got myself arrested and charged. I made a botched attempt at robbing a jeweller's with a fake pistol. Even during the incident itself, I'd committed myself to not saying a single word. I waved the toy gun at the man behind the counter, handing him a note requesting he fill up my bag with the contents of the shop, plus the cash in the till. The guy had a panic button. I knew this already. I also knew he wouldn't be too scared of me. I looked ridiculous. I was wearing a clown's outfit, curly red wig, full makeup, big honking shoes and everything. And the gun was clearly the kind of gun a clown would use as a prop. Nonetheless, I'd broken the law and would be charged accordingly. I refused to speak when the cops arrived. It was fundamentally important that I didn't disclose my name. Well, I don't actually have a name, as you know, but my identity. This was all very confusing for them. My only form of willing communication was a nod or shake of the head. So, during the interrogation, they'd say, Do you understand what I'm saying to you? I'd nod. They'd say, What's your name? I'd shake my head. They'd say, Are you choosing not to speak? Or are you physically incapable? I wouldn't respond either way. I refused to answer the question, Are you a British citizen? They said, 
Are you willing to speak to your solicitor? I shook my head, and so it went on. I had a psychiatric evaluation. I ended up being slightly more forthcoming to the psychiatrist, just to ensure I didn't end up in a hospital rather than jail. Luckily, this didn't involve disclosing any details relating to who I actually am. My fingerprints weren't in the national database. My DNA didn't match with anyone else they had on file. I went to court as an unidentified man, only assumed to be British because I understood the English language. In any case, if I was foreign, which country was I from? My solicitor had asked me how I intended to plead. I nodded my head, indicating guilty. I refused to write anything down apart from one brief note on which prison I'd prefer to be held in. My solicitor explained what I already knew, that this was in no way a guarantee, especially considering how utterly uncooperative I'd been so far. But nonetheless, he'd see what he could do. So, it's not just a case of wanting to go to prison, I said. It's a case of wanting to go to that particular prison. Yes, said Noddy. And the law being the way it is, there was no guarantee I'd end up there. All I could do was commit a crime in one specific area of the country and hope for the best. But why did you want to go there in the first place, I said. That's a whole other story, he said. It's a complicated one, but I'll summarise. I was thrown off by your question earlier about protecting you in prison. The truth is, I was sent there to protect someone. A man called Azim Khan. Azim was a security technician in a bank the community had recently robbed. Maybe you heard about it at the time, ended up being quite big news, which is never ideal as far as the community is concerned. We were trying out a new technique at the time, alongside some tried and tested methods. The main thrust of this particular robbery involved a group of community members successfully passing themselves off as security officers from the private firm the bank had employed to transport its cash. We'd done this before. It worked. The main challenge was disabling the security cameras. Our solution seemed ingenious at the time. One community member had recently become extraordinarily talented in the art of hypnosis. It was easy enough to get her in there and make contact with one of the security team. The man she chose happened to be Azim Khan. While under hypnosis, Azim had been set the task of turning off the security cameras and deleting the day's footage. Due to this deletion being requested under Azim's login details, he ended up being wrongfully accused of conspiracy. Considering the amount we stole, this was a serious accusation. Azim was sentenced to five years. Devastating for Azim and his family, of course, and to a lesser extent, the community were devastated too. Despite the success of the operation, we decided never to use hypnosis again. Clearly, if we continued, there'd remain the potential for another innocent man having his life ruined. That's not what the community stands for. Ditching hypnosis was the easy decision. The tricky decision to make was how to make reparations for what we'd done. Confessing was out of a question. Unfortunately, that was the only way Azim would be let off the hook. He had, after all, logged into his account, disabled the cameras and deleted the security footage. His fingerprints were on the keys. The only way to disprove his culpability was to go on record and admit our own. That would be the end of everything. On the other hand, all Azim had to do was serve five years in prison. 
the very least the community could offer him was some kind of assurance that his time in prison would be relatively stress-free and that his family would be compensated. In actual fact, compensating the family was the hardest part. I wasn't involved in all that business. It's not my field of expertise. Long story short, Azim and his family received somewhere in the region of a million pounds from the community, which was somehow made to look like a home contents insurance payment. I still don't fully understand how we pull that off, but there you go. The community is amazing. It happened. Meanwhile, I'd volunteered to arrange for Azim's prison protection. I was partially involved in the planning stage of the bank heist. I was never directly involved in its orchestration. I could have easily stood back and let someone else take the hit. But you know what, Frank? What I said to you was true enough in its own way. A part of me did want to go to prison to see what it was like. I've lived a long and full life. Unconventional for sure, but at least I can say that most items on my bucket list have a tick against them. Would I live to regret having prison on my bucket list? Yes, yes I would, but I'm here and I'm telling this story and maybe that's what life is all about, doing things and then telling someone that you've done them. I'll go with that, I said. I'm aware that I haven't answered your question yet, he said. How was I able to adequately protect Azim Khan and as luck would have it, yourself as well? Hypnosis too? Well, no, not exactly. Did you ever hear the name Mabel while you were inside, Frank? If I did, I don't remember it now, I said. It's likely you didn't hear it, said Noddy. Mabel's name is rarely uttered aloud. Believe it or not, there's an actual superstition associated with Mabel. Say her name and she'll appear. And Mabel is the last person anyone wants to see. And Mabel is? Well, said Noddy, here we go. Mabel is another story. Generally speaking, said Noddy, community members can be split into three distinct categories. There are the younger members, born into the community, who've never known a different life. Secondly, there are people like me, who were born and raised in secret, usually as a result of a rich man's extramarital affair, who were approached by the community and invited to join. Then there is the third category, similar to my own but distinctly different. Children who were born and raised with a specific purpose in mind. Remember the man who secretly lives in Buckingham Palace? He's a prime example. His whole life was a kind of experiment, which as far as I know remains ongoing to this day. People in this particular category are more like affiliate members. Mostly, due to the nature of their work, they don't live directly alongside other community members. For this reason, I have never had the pleasure of meeting the man who secretly lives in Buckingham Palace. I haven't met Mabel either. I've spent time with her parents, but frankly, I'd have preferred not to. They are very difficult people to be around. So, Mabel was another one of these experiments. Yes, said Noddy none of which were masterminded by anyone within the community itself. The community would never have allowed a child to be raised in the way Mabel or the Buckingham Palace guy was. We tend to keep them at arm's length, which is convenient because that's how they prefer to be treated. In their own way, Category 3s are very useful people to have around. Mabel certainly is. As you'll have gathered, the community operates entirely independently. We have no direct links to organised crime groups, and thank God for that. 
but Mabel does. Mabel was born in the 1960s, a time when the community was really finding its feet. Mabel's parents were community members themselves, who split from the group rather acrimoniously. For years they were undetectable. The community searched as best we could, but it appeared as though the pair had vanished from the face of the earth. This was bad news for the community, having two individuals with a grudge against us go missing, knowing all there was to know about our whereabouts and how we operated. We continued to investigate, sending a search party out once a year in the hope of encountering the couple. Presumably they were hiding out in some remote part of the countryside. There was a lot of ground to cover. It wasn't until the early 1980s when one of our members discovered the couple living in a farmhouse in Scotland with their teenage daughter. Myself and a few of our members paid them a visit, not to reconcile anything, just to talk. Mabel wasn't allowed in the room. As I say, I never laid eyes on her myself. What I did see was the house she'd been raised in. The first thing you noticed was the skeletons. Full sets of human bones hanging from wires from the ceiling. The next thing you noticed were the jars of pickled internal organs. The house would have resembled a laboratory if it wasn't for all the dirt. It didn't take long to get the full story out of them. I got the impression that, despite the extreme secrecy of their work, they were happy to have a few sets of ears to brag to about their achievements. It was almost as though they were waiting for us to find them, so they could finally tell their tale. Apparently, they'd hatched this plot of theirs while they were still living at the community house. Knowing that the community would never support them in their scheme, it was necessary for them to engineer their own internal disagreement. As it happens, they had no real grievance against the community and assured us they had no intention of revealing the community's secrets to the wider world. If that were the case, surely they'd have done so already. They simply wanted to operate outside of the community's strict ethical framework. They'd certainly done that. Since leaving the community, the pair had been working as evidence disposal specialists. This is a real thing, by the way. You could make a good living if you had the right skills and the right contacts. By anyone's standards, it's a horrible job. Disposing of corpses, dealing with the aftermath of brutal slayings, ensuring the removal of all forensic evidence. They'd chosen to do this, I said. From their point of view, these were necessary steps in their grand plan. A plan which included raising a child who would learn the job from birth. In theory, as far as Mabel was concerned, becoming an evidence disposal specialist. I want to say the criminal underworld refer to these people as cleaners, but frankly I'm winging it here with the terminology. I know very little about the criminal underworld. What I'm saying is, as far as Mabel was concerned, becoming a cleaner, or whatever it is they call these people, wasn't a horrible job. She'd been brought up around mutilated corpses. They were literally part of the furniture. Just so we're clear, I said, Mabel's parents were doing what exactly? Where were these mutilated corpses coming from? Over time, they'd established links to various organised crime groups throughout the UK, mostly in the big cities. Anytime someone needed a body to disappear in a hurry, they were the guys to call. As far as any of their customers knew, any evidence they collected was being dumped in the North Sea. What they actually did 
was take it all back to their farmhouse in Scotland and show it to their daughter. You may be wondering why they decided to do this. I am wondering that, yes, I said. It's simple, really, said Noddy. Mabel was in training. She was being trained for a specific purpose. Her initial schooling would take 18 years. This stage was almost complete. When we arrived at their house, Mabel had almost reached adulthood. From that point, Mabel's parents estimated a further 20 years was necessary before their small-time black market niche industry became something else entirely. Once Mabel reached the age of 18, they planned to officially retire. They'd contact each of their customers within the organised crime community and recommend Mabel as their replacement. They wouldn't mention the fact that Mabel was their daughter. So the story goes, no one had ever seen Mabel in the flesh. Nonetheless, Mabel was the best in the business. Highly skilled, available at a moment's notice, generously priced and 100% reliable. Mabel did, however, come with a number of clauses in her unwritten contract. No one was allowed to lay eyes on her. You want a crime scene cleared pronto? Make sure you evacuate the scene as quickly as possible so that Mabel can get in there before the cops discover it. Anyone who witnesses Mabel going about her business will be killed on sight and disposed of accordingly. No exceptions. If you don't like Mabel's terms of business, fine. Hire some amateur instead or break your own back digging a six-foot hole in the moors then set fire to your own car. Whatever works for you, mate. I like your sales pitch, I said. It worked, said Noddy. That's exactly how they sold it. Within a couple of years, Mabel was the go-to girl for any kind of disposal job. Before long, she was dumping evidence for the heads of major crime groups from the south coast of England to the Highlands. None of these people even knew what she looked like. They didn't know where she was based. She was trusted on the basis of how well she performed at her work. Plenty of criminals refused to engage her on the basis of her terms, preferring instead to clean up their own messes. But there's always that one time when things get out of hand, a fight breaks out, one thing leads to another, and there simply isn't time to deal with the consequences. That's when they call Mabel. She always answers her calls. She cleans up on average one crime scene per month and is paid handsomely for the privilege. The chances of two emergencies cropping up on the same day are virtually non-existent. As she builds up her client base, once a month becomes once a fortnight. This is fine, of course. It's manageable. A lot of Mabel's work involves driving a car up and down the motorway with a boot full of human remains. The ability to deal with these long drives was part of her training as a child. She learned to drive a car at the age of 12. She'd prepare herself for the tedium of long-distance travel by driving round the perimeter of a field for hours at a stretch. Anyway, some time passed. Mabel continued working. The crime families continued to pay her. The more they paid, the more they trusted. The community continued to keep track of all this, rather reluctantly, it has to be said. Personally, at the time, I'd have been happier not to have known a thing. But then, one day, my wish was granted, partially at least. Mabel's parents stopped sending their weekly updates. We tried calling the farmhouse. No response. After several weeks of no contact, we made the journey up to Scotland. Up to Scotland, I repeated. Yes, said Noddy. 
Sorry, I was just narrowing down my mental image of where this mysterious house of yours is. I kind of had it pegged as being somewhere north of the border, simply because, presumably, the community house is in a remote location and Scotland has plenty of that. Right, said Noddy. Yeah, sorry, I'm not supposed to give you any hints as to where the community house is located. Maybe I was intentionally throwing you off the scent, or maybe when I said up, I was referring to altitude rather than a compass point. It's fine, I said. I don't actually need to know where you live. It's a private curiosity, that's all. Sorry, I'm interrupting your story. What happened? In all honesty, I don't know, said Noddy. We turned up at the farmhouse. There was nothing there. The skeletons, the jars, any evidence that anyone had been living there at all. It almost felt like our original encounter had been nothing but a weird dream. So that was it. You never heard from them again. From that point, all we heard was the legend. We knew what they were planning. Mabel's parents had bragged about it. And then it happened. As I say, the community has never had any direct links to organised crime groups. But due to the nature of our work, we have various people under surveillance. This is mostly for educational purposes, to find out how folks in the real world break the law. But it's more than just gaining an insight into the technical details of how their crimes are committed. There's also the simple element of storytelling. That's how we found out what was happening with Mabel. I never heard what happened to her parents, by the way. I'm guessing they're dead now. They're older than me. That's just what happens. But Mabel, she's the real story. Her parents were simply the orchestrators. According to our inside information... It all went according to plan. I even know what date it was. It was the 4th of April 2002. That was the day that everything changed. Crime lords up and down the country received letters in the mail on the same day. Letters were accompanied by various photographs. Mabel had written to each of her customers informing them of her immediate retirement. Her pension plan was simple. The recipients of each of these letters would pay her several million pounds in cash. The photographs accompanying each of these letters made it clear that Mabel had been less than honest in her former correspondence. The bodies she claimed to have dumped in the North Sea had in fact been frozen and stored in Mabel's private facility alongside corresponding DNA evidence pertaining to the crimes. Mabel had spent the best part of 20 years meticulously gathering, cataloguing, storing and preserving vast volumes of incriminating evidence against countless key figures in the criminal underworld. While having never physically met any of these people, Mabel knew who was who in the hierarchies. She knew the right people to blackmail and she knew how much they'd be willing to pay. She also knew this operation could not have been conducted any other way. She couldn't have shown her face. She couldn't have just held on to a handful of evidence. This needed to be fully comprehensive. You can't blackmail the leader of a major crime organisation by threatening to disclose evidence of a couple of historical murder cases. Well, you can, but not for seven-figure sums of money. Ask them for millions and they're likely to say, go ahead, hand whatever you have over to the police. I'll do a bit of jail time if I have to, fine. Mabel presented each of these seemingly untouchable men with enough evidence to destroy their whole empire. Details of every single unsolved homicide committed by their organisations over the course of the last two decades. They had no choice but to pay up. 
So that's what happened. Mabel took their millions, with no real promise that the evidence she gathered would be destroyed. She claimed that was her intention. She claimed that they would never hear from her again. But the general feeling was Mabel was keeping her freezers on, wherever they were, and wherever she was. If anyone tried to find her, or worse still, succeeded in tracking her down, Mabel's threats to bring down several empires at once would become a reality. Noddy paused, chuckling a little at the thought of it all. You see what I mean, about the myth-making aspect of this story? Absolutely, I said. I can't believe I've never heard this one before. There's a very good reason why you haven't. There are some very dangerous, very powerful guys out there who don't want you or anyone else to know who Mabel is. Even within the underworld itself, all you'll hear is whispers. This is part of the legend too. Guys who've heard half a tale passing chunks of information around. They don't know the details. What they do know is Mabel exists and must be feared. Amazing, I said. So, in answer to your question, Frank, I've forgotten what my question was now. I think it was something to do with my status in prison, this superpower I seem to have, without wishing to put words in your mouth. Go ahead, I said. I didn't use the word superpower, but that's a great way of putting it. Thanks, said Noddy. Let's talk about that. When I first arrived in prison, I was the opposite of a superhero, said Noddy. Bear in mind, I'd been in the romance centre for weeks on end. I'd been isolated for the most part, classed as a vulnerable prisoner. I specifically didn't want that kind of treatment after sentencing. Luckily, there was no chance of that happening. The judge herself referenced the fact that my refusal to speak should be interpreted as a contempt for the law rather than any kind of vulnerability. I recall her doing air quotes around that word, which is weird behaviour for a judge. Maybe I imagined that part. The trial is a blur, really. I barely remember mine, I admitted. So anyway, Noddy continued, when I arrived in prison, as far as anyone could tell, I was unable to speak. Maybe if I'd had a clearly defined disability, it might have been easier for my fellow prisoners to understand how to relate to me. I wasn't quite prepared for the number of questions being barked in my face. I nodded or shook my head in response to everything, regardless of how nonsensical my responses were. Someone asked me what my name was. I nodded. That got a big laugh. I laughed myself too, finding it hard to do so without making a sound. Anyway, that's where the nickname came from for that one incident. This is the light-hearted stuff I'm telling you about first. I got badly beaten up on my second day inside. Oh no, I said. It's okay, said Noddy. I'm afraid to say this was all part of the plan. One of the young lads who'd been barking questions at me the previous day managed to corner me in the corridor when none of the guards were about. He slammed my head against the wall and I fell to the floor. He kicked me a few times. Once to the head, which almost knocked me out, gave me a big black eye. This all seemed to happen almost silently. I realised that was what he was doing. He wanted to hear me make a noise from my mouth, but I hadn't given him the satisfaction. There was a huddle of blokes a few feet away who hadn't even noticed what had happened because it all took place so quietly. My attacker was left with a simple choice, either walk away and pretend it hadn't happened or carry on beating a defenceless man to death. I wasn't really defenceless by the way, I happened to be a jiu-jitsu black belt. This was all part of the act. 
Ultimately, I knew he'd walk away. Why kill some random person just because he hadn't answered your question properly? To be fair, I said, people have been killed for less. True, said Noddy. I was willing to take the gamble on this occasion. Failing that, I could flip into martial arts mode and floor him. Luckily, it went according to plan. He made a move to slip away quietly. That's when I made my move. I opened my mouth and for the first time in weeks spoke out loud. Just loud enough for him to hear and no one else. Would you care to hazard a guess as to what I said to him? I'm not very good at this guessing thing, as you know, I said. I still like to ask. I know you do. It's probably best if you just tell me what you said. OK, said Noddy. I looked up at the guy, who thankfully was taking one last glance over his shoulder before he made a run for it, and I uttered three distinct words. Mabel says hello. Ah, I said, that would not have been my guess. Also, at this point, I've no idea what the other guy might have said back to you. He didn't respond in the way I'd hoped, said Noddy. All he did was smile and clap his hands together sarcastically before muttering, I knew you could talk. What were you hoping he'd say, I said. I was hoping he'd say nothing at all and run away. Presumably, if he'd known what the name Mabel signified, my claim to have been one of her associates would have put the fear of God into him. The trouble was, this guy had clearly ended up in prison for some minor misdemeanour, probably involving some kind of violence. But even his violence was a little lacklustre. I was fine aside from the black eye and the blow to my pride. Even so, this wasn't a wasted exercise. Maybe he'd brag to someone about giving me a slap and tell them what I'd said. And maybe the person he told would recognise the name. You can see what I was trying to achieve here, right? As soon as that connection is made, the most powerful guys in that prison, whoever they were, I didn't even know, they'd undoubtedly be informed of my connections. Once they know, so does everyone else. Word will get around. If anyone else lays a finger on that man with a black eye, you'll only have yourself to blame for what comes next. So what did happen next? Did he tell anyone? Noddy shrugged. If he did, he clearly hadn't told the right person. Days after the incident, I was still being ridiculed in the canteen, in the yard. Even my cellmate threatened to rip my head off if I didn't give him a straight answer. It was obvious what needed to be done. As unpleasant as it sounds, I had to get myself beaten up again. The mistake I'd made the first time was simply to allow the nearest psychopath to attack me for his own gratification. I needed to properly target the perpetrator of the beating. Identify which of the inmates had proper organised crime connections and say those three magic words in their ear. It seemed obvious now that's the strategy I should have been pursuing in the first place, unless I wanted to gather a catalogue of cuts and bruises from a series of small-time thugs. Luckily, my position as a silent member of the prison population worked very much to my advantage. Try staying silent for a whole week. Just sit and listen to what's going on around you. You'll learn all sorts of things that would have otherwise been obscured by the sound of your own voice. In other words, I didn't need to hunt for the next man to beat me up. I'd already gathered where each of my fellow prisoners sat in the general hierarchy and had a good six or seven possible targets. I developed a habit of staring at people. Not at everyone, of course. I didn't want to get beaten up by the wrong man again. Whenever the opportunity arose to stare at one of my six or seven targets... 
That's what I would do. It wasn't long before one of them cracked and cornered me outside my cell. Why do you keep staring at me? The man whispered in my face, rather politely given the circumstances. This, as it turns out, was less of a threat and more of an inquiry. Thankfully, all I needed to do was say, Mabel says hello. He was gone in the blink of an eye. Word spread throughout the building in less than 24 hours. The next day, the verbal abuse had completely evaporated. If indeed it's possible for verbal abuse to evaporate. It wasn't there anymore, that's what I'm trying to say. No one talked to me. I didn't talk to anyone. Suddenly, prison was peaceful. When I got back to my cell after breakfast, my cellmate said, Listen, I just want to say I'm very sorry for anything I might have said, threats I might have made. They were stupid. I am stupid. And you? I still remember that pause where he flailed his arms around like a drowning swimmer, attempting to define what I was. He couldn't find the words and retired to his bunk. He never spoke to me again. A couple of months later, he was gone. You were his replacement. And that's it, really. That's the story. Is it? I said. Oh, no, said Noddy. You're right. That isn't the full story. I haven't told you about the actual reason I was there in the first place, protecting Azim Khan. The Mabel says hello thing wasn't simply a tactic to ensure my own protection. Fundamentally, I was there for Azim's welfare. My request to be detained in that particular prison was granted, as luck would have it. Unfortunately, Azim and myself were on different wings, which meant we weren't guaranteed to come into contact at any point. I considered placing a written request for a transfer to a different wing, although I knew the kind of questions that would provoke. I was acutely aware of my position as one of the greatest mysteries ever known to local law enforcement and was very much hoping to avoid any further suspicion. As far as I could see, there was only one thing for it. The only place Azim and I could feasibly come into contact with one another was the prison hospital. Getting myself in there would be easy enough. I could throw myself down the bottom half of the stairs. Ensuring Azim would be there at the exact same time as me would be the hard part. I paid a discreet visit to one of the guys I'd noted as being well-connected. I told him there was a prisoner I needed to meet face-to-face and planned to see him in the hospital as soon as I possibly could. All I needed was someone to rough him up a bit. Nothing too rough, a minor injury of some kind, no broken bones. And whatever you do, don't put the fear of God into the man. Make it look like an accident. Spill a hot cup of coffee on his hand and apologise, that sort of thing. Part of me couldn't believe I was making such a request. My new position as suspected underworld legend hadn't quite sunk in yet, partly because I was suspicious at how easy it had been. All I'd done was say the words Mabel says hello, which anyone familiar with the Mabel story could have said as some kind of bravado. It was weird that no one had questioned my claim to be associated with Mabel in some way. Maybe the general weirdness of my prison persona had helped create the impression I was in some way connected to this equally mysterious Mabel figure. But anyway, this was the best I could do. The plan was in no way ethically sound, Not to mention counterproductive, arranging a minor injury for the man I was supposed to be protecting seemed like an own goal. But again, this was the only way I could meet him, and I needed to meet him. And so, long story short, that's what happened. Azim and I ended up in neighbouring beds. 
Not only that, but for a long stretch of time, we were the only two people in the room. My initial plan had been to whisper a couple of sentences in his ear and hope he understood. Having some proper alone time with him meant I could actually explain who I was, what I was doing there. I told him I was there to protect him. I knew he was innocent and I wanted him to have a good life and as easy a time in prison as possible. I told him my organisation was responsible for arranging that unexpected insurance payout. Azim took me at my word. He didn't ask any questions, all he did was listen. He was just how I'd expected him to be, a regular guy, an innocent man who'd found himself in the wrong place at the wrong time and just wanted to get through his time inside before moving on with his life. Next, I told him about Mabel. I went through the whole story, aside from any mention of the community's minor involvement. I finished the story by saying, I'm telling you this because if anyone ever gives you any hassle in here, any trouble whatsoever, whether it's threats of violence or verbal abuse, anything that makes you uncomfortable in some way, all you have to do is look them in the eye and say, Mabel says hello. Trust me, it works like a charm. I said it to someone the other day, now I'm the king of this whole place. If Mabel's name doesn't work for any reason, just say Noddy says hello. He said, Noddy? I said, yes, that's me. He said, I've heard of you. They didn't mention anything about Mabel. They just said you're the new guy shaking things up in F-Wing, whatever shaking things up means. I try to keep out of these conversations, but yeah, I've heard your name a few times. So you're like a big time gangster or something? I said, absolutely not. I'm not quite as innocent as you are, but F-Wing really hasn't got anything to be afraid of. All I did was say the words Mabel says hello and that's all you need to do to stay safe in here. He said, I'll do that. I said, good, because I'm only here for a maximum of 12 months, probably less. While I'm here, I can keep an eye on things, make sure you're doing okay. When I'm gone, just make sure you keep those two cards close to your chest, Mabel and Noddy, Noddy and Mabel. He thanked me. He actually gave me a hug, which I wasn't really expecting, but I went along with it. Shortly after that, we went our separate ways. I never saw him again, but from what I can gather, he was released a couple of years early and emigrated with his family shortly afterwards. No idea what became of him, but I'd like to think, in some way, the community helped him to have a better life than the one he could have had before we completely destroyed it, if that makes sense. It does, I said. You've answered a lot of my questions, including a bunch of questions I didn't even realise I had until today. That's good, said Noddy. Just talking about hugs, my God. I wish I could give you a hug right now. I've never been a hugging kind of guy, but it's one of those things that once the option has been taken away, it makes you really want one. Just so you know, Frank Burton, that's what I'd have done right now, under normal circumstances. Same here, I said. Also, said Noddy, I want to make sure you're okay. Not just because we're friends, but because we have a job to do next week. Oh yeah, I said, I'd almost forgotten. You're still up for this though, said Noddy, not having second thoughts or anything? Oh sure, I said, I have second thoughts about everything. I had second thoughts about what to have for breakfast this morning. You're asking me to rob a bank? Sure, I'll do it, but you can guarantee I'll have second thoughts about it. That's understandable, said Noddy. Also, aside from all of this, are you okay, Frank? How do you mean? I mean, how are you? How are you feeling? What's been on your mind? Oh, I said, 
Oh? Noddy repeated. I just realised it's a very long time since someone asked me how I'm feeling. I do have friends and everything. I made a new friend recently and that's going well. But I suppose what I'm saying is it's been a long time since I had someone who's known me for a good length of time say something like, how are you doing? So it's thrown me off balance a little bit. I don't have an immediate answer. Well, take your time, said Noddy. I think, I said, after a minute of staring into the distance, I actually think I'm very happy. The only things that drag me down are things that don't really matter. And what are these things that don't really matter? Well, lack of commercial success, I said, that's a big one. There was a brief period where I had sponsorship for my podcast, which meant I didn't have to work a day job. Now that's all dried up. No one really listens to the podcast anymore, so I'm not sure whether to carry on with it or just do something else. A few years ago, I had a literary agent who was a great guy. He really understood my work and he backed me all the way in all my attempts to get a major publishing deal. Didn't happen. Now I don't have an agent and I'm self-publishing books, which very few people will ever get to read. I feel like I'm just carrying on in the hope that maybe one day all of this will change and I'll become the kind of writer people mention in the same breath as Vonnegut or Ballard or Winterson. I believe in myself quite strongly most of the time, but I strongly suspect this will never happen. There are so many other people out there writing books with so few opportunities to actually become the sort of writer that people casually mention, assuming that you know who they are. Like, even those three names I mentioned a minute ago, Vonnegut, Ballard and Winterson, a lot of people wouldn't know what I meant. That's how hard this business of writing books is. I mentioned three giants of 20th century literature. Does anyone born after 2000 have any inclination of who these people are? Most people born in the 20th century wouldn't recognise the names either. Where does that leave me? A guy who's still attempting to write novels in the age of Twitter. Oh, and one more thing. A friend of mine died the other day. She was a nurse and she died of Covid and I was in love with her. For some reason I don't feel particularly sad about it. I just feel slightly guilty. If I'm honest, I feel sadder about the fact that my latest book didn't sell as well as I'd have liked it to. So, there you have it, that's how I feel. It turns out that I care more about myself than I care about some woman who I hardly knew. Perhaps that's the way it should be. Thanks for sharing, said Noddy. Are you sure we can't hug just a little bit? Probably best not, he said. I blew him a kiss instead and he blew me one back. We laughed and mimed shaking hands. And after a brief pause and a nod, we walked our separate ways. Thank you for listening. You now have the choice of moving straight on to episode 8, the penultimate episode of Ragbag Presents Bollywood or sticking around for the optional bonus content that will appear right after the theme song. It's called the footnote section, but of course you know that you've listened to them all so far, have you not? Check it out anyway, or I will see you in episode 8. If you like what you've heard, please visit my website, frankburton.co.uk, for more information about me and my work. I have another podcast called I Like the Sound. I've written several books, including the first two installments of the Ragbag series, Everything I Am and Getting Away With It. 
I recently made a four-part podcast series with David Ebar from the band Herman Dune. It's called Not On Top and it is a brilliant, brilliant thing. See you all very soon. Enjoy yourself. Footnotes, footnotes, welcome to the footnotes section. That's the new uh, theme tune for the footnotes section there. I hope you like it. Um, <laughs> I've, I've kind of given up on, on on the format of this now, as I mentioned last time. The, the point of the footnotes section was to do exactly that, provide some footnotes, uh, references for things that have happened in um, today's episode. I can't be bothered to do that. I'm just going to ramble on uh, for a while like I have been doing. I prefer doing that. It's a lot less work than going through the whole text and going, oh, there's a cultural reference to this thing here. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm just going to uh, enjoy myself and uh, fulfill a lesser podcaster. <laughs> a podcaster without, uh, uh, not of the same calibre as myself would perhaps just continue with the format. But I have gone bored of the format. I'm going to do something different with it. You might remember, if you're a long-term listener, I did a couple of episodes of the Ragbag podcast where I just kind of found some stuff online and, and read it out and kind of commented on it. And it was, a, it was an interesting kind of experiment of um, just kind of finding stuff, kind of details from other people's lives. Specifically, I read out the Wikipedia entry for the t- children's TV series Button Moon which was uh, fantastic. I, I heartily recommend that you check that out. And um, it's much better than it sounds, by the way. And uh, I, I also found um, uh, some like Trustpilot reviews of um, like a T-shirt company. Uh, I read those out as well. There's some great ones there. And um, I thought I'd do a similar thing again. Um, if, you, if you haven't heard either of those episodes, it is much better than it sounds. It, it's kind of like, um, I'm not just trying to, say like oh here's something funny that i found on the internet i'm going to read it out 
and make fun of it. It's not that. It's um, it's that uh, sometimes you find these things that, and that, and they provide strange insights into other people's lives. And it's that that interests me, really. It's it's kind of an exploration of society. <laughs> without, without wanting to sound too pretentious. It's an exploration of uh, ourselves as, as human beings, really. <laughs> no, it really is. I, I, I'm laughing because it sounds preposterous, but it actually really is an exploration of um, ourselves as a species, really. <laughs> uh, and now, uh, that being said, I'm going to read out some reviews that I've found on Google for a Beaconsfield services on the M40. Uh, this is a motorway service station in the UK. And uh, perhaps for our international listeners, it might uh, provide you with some insight if you've never been to a motorway services in the, in the United Kingdom. I don't really know how they compare to, to other countries. I haven't really kind of stopped off. I haven't really done much road travel in other countries. You know, I've kind of flown into a city and then flown out again. I haven't really gone into kind of uh, the highways and byways as they say so I, I don't really know what kind of road travel is like in other countries as such so I, I only really got the UK to go off maybe it's completely different in your country I don't know but obviously we have these motorway services and it's, it's weird kind of writing a review of a motorway services as well because it's not the sort of thing that you can recommend as such you just kind of you don't go to a motorway services because you've you read a good review of it do you? You go there because it's a convenient place to stop on <laughs> on a long car journey. Maybe some people do. Maybe some enthusiasts seek out the motorway services with the best reviews. I don't know. Um, Beaconsfield Services um, has got four out of five overall, uh, based on an astonishing number of ratings. Um, 17,588 ratings. Oh, imagine if this podcast had that many ratings on uh, on google <laughs> i don't even know if you can rate podcasts on google can you? i know google have got their own podcasting app but people don't use that do they they're more more interested in using spotify and stuff like that you can't really do ratings on spotify thank god because otherwise I bet, <laughs> you know uh, nobody would rate ragbag on spotify and it would be zero out of five by default thank heavens for small mercies as they say I'm using a lot of religious um, terminology here. I'm not a religious person. I'm st stuck with these religious uh, analogies. I should maybe drop them, but um, yeah, they, just, they just pop out. So uh, yeah, without further ado, let's have a look at uh, the reviews for, for Beaconsfield Services. A busy motorway service stop. <laughs> I really like the way that um, people who are reviewing things have to describe, <laughs> have to tell you what the thing is in the review. <laughs> I know it's I know it's a motorway service stop. You don't need to tell me. A busy motorway service stop with a really good choice of food and beverage outlets, meeting rooms, and other meeting rooms and other facilities. Well, I didn't realise there were that you could go there for business, business purposes. But there you go. Nipped in for a quick bite and a break, and was surprised at the diversity of the offerings. They've posted some pictures. A lot of people have posted pictures with their reviews here. Uh, they've gone to a lot of trouble. Next review. We have travelled around the UK on road trips with our children practically every weekend. Ever since they were little. They are teenagers now. And motorway services were a huge part of a journey. Needing to stop for the bathroom. And <laughs> they've written a whole essay. <laughs> it's 
sorry, I had to click to expand. I've lost my place now. Needing to stop for the bathroom and something to eat. So when I say that Beaconsfield is the best motorway services that I have ever seen, this is backed with over 17 years of visiting motorway services practically every weekend. <laughs> They're so passionate. Oh my God, I've never read such passion about any subject before. It looks like a high-end shopping mall. It has a wide variety of food outlets to cater for every taste and pocket. <laughs> That's a nice little turn of phrase there. I like that. Cater for every taste and pocket. Yeah, I haven't heard that before. The toilets are clean, which when you have children and a high volume of people going in and out of a place is of great importance. We visited on a Sunday and there were long queues at Greg's, but the other places did have as many people waiting to be served, so bear that in mind. What are you trying to say? Oh, so everywhere had a queue, not just Greg's. Okay, so bear that in mind. All in all, it is a great place to visit, even as a destination in itself. <laughs> oh, no, that answers my question. Uh, I just said nobody goes to visit uh, motorway services um, because they want to. This person does. They've been going there for 17 years and they've described it as a great place to visit, even as a destination in itself. <laughs> If you don't live too far away and want to have a bite to eat. <laughs> it's, it's, you're still better off. Now, if you live in Beaconsfield, I don't think you're going to be going to Beaconsfield services. You have to go, you'd have to drive up the motorway and turn around at the next junction. It, it's very inconvenient. Don't do it. There were signs for a dog park if you are travelling with a pet. And some other nice walks were signposted as well. We're, we are signposted as well. I did take a pic of the signs post. We were pressed for time, so didn't explore the outside places, but maybe we will actually go there one weekend when we have nothing on. The kids would like to do that. <laughs> your teenage children. Uh, are you telling me your teenage children want to go to a motorway services for a weekend? No, they do not. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely, absolutely not. They, they did not say that. You are delusional, my friend. If you think your teenage children want to go with you to remote away services for a weekend, I don't know why I'm getting so heated up here. It's just, why have they said that? Their, their kids have not requested this. Their kids do not want to go to remote away services for a weekend. What ridiculous. <laughs> Oh, it, it, it did answer my question, though. It answered my question about do people actually go to motorway services just because they want to go there? Apparently they do. Um, great services, plenty of food option, clean and busy all the time. McDonald's is 24-7. Good for a quick stop. I've taken some, uh, some pictures of there. Interesting looking ceiling there. The, uh, I have been to this services, but I didn't notice the, the interesting ceiling on the inside there. A triangular structure ample parking space but quite busy large selection of better food and drink outlets to choose from cleaner facilities cleaner than what it is a good location and i use it often there are a decent range of stores inside but it isn't the best service station around by a long way car parking is often tight to get in and out often long queues inside for various stores especially mucky d's and greg's <laughs> Yeah, we mentioned that the long queues at Greg's, mate. Yeah, we've been there. 
Petrol is, of course, always expensive here. Toilets are clean, though. Now my attempt at service station humour. <laughs> oh, they've posted a joke here. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder what this joke is going to be like. Now my attempt at service station humour. I went to the petrol station to pump up my car tyre, and the guy charged me 50p. I said it was only 20p last week. He said that's the price of inflation. <laughs> oh, oh, well worth it. Well worth it. Thank you. Motorway services humour. Um, now. This is the best motorway services I've ever been to. Even better than South Mims. South Mims? Is that place? M-I-M-M-S. How odd. It has a lovely grass-fronted building and inside is a treasure trove of places to drink, eat and relax. Leon, Nando's, various Asian places. Cornwall. <laughs> various Asian places. Uh, Cornwall Pastico. Starbucks, Curry House, and a couple of other food places. <laughs> Overusing the word places there. Uh, the big attraction was the Weatherspoons pub, which backed onto a patio with tables and a lake of abgrassy meadow behind it. Lots of ducks and a lovely place to be. <laughs> abgrassy meadow. What is, that? is that a typo? Is that a real word? There we go. Um, I don't know if you international uh, listeners are familiar with the Weatherspoons pub chain. I don't know whether they have them in other countries. I presume not. The, the boss of the Weatherspoons company is a big Brexit guy, is a big supporter of Brexit. And um, then he was unhappy uh, with the the fact that it <laughs> unwittingly he uh, his support of Brexit it's, it meant his, his business has started to go downhill uh, in, for lots of different reasons. And um, he's unhappy about that. Um, he's an interesting man. He's an interesting man. I can't remember his name now. I'm, try I'm trying not to read people's names out here because I don't want to kind of uh, name and shame anyone. But um, I'm, not, I'm not shaming anyone by reading these things out, surely. But I, I was just intrigued by the fact that this, this next one is posted by someone called themselves Tarantula Hans. Hans, as in the German name. Um, and Tarantula Hans. So there we go. A very good location for dining or fast food. Lots of food options. Good place to meet up for business or personal get-together. Very well maintained. EV charging stations also available. There we go. Yeah, so people do meet up there for business. They've got meeting rooms there. That's interesting. I've not been to a... Well, I have been to the services, but I didn't... When he popped in, I didn't know that there were <laughs> people having business lunches there and stuff. Next one. Uh, one of the best service stations to refresh while travelling. Restaurants such as McDonald's, KFC and Nando's, as well as Starbucks, are all available. It's funny the mentality that goes into writing these things, isn't it? Because look, you would know this just from looking it up on Google, but you, you, this person has taken it upon themselves to list the places that are at the, the service station, even though that, that information is already freely available. <laughs> Good place to rest and take a break in your journey. Some COVID-19 restrictions and procedures followed by both staff and customers. Some, some, some restrictions are followed. A large variety on choices of beverages offered along with other shopping experience from retailers. So there we have it. It's a very busy place with a variety of hot food to select. However, we were disappointed with a croissant we had at Starbucks as they were not very crispy at all. <laughs> 
This service station has EV charging stations, three CCS and three Chademobile by GridServe. Am I saying that right? Also has Lonity chargers. But I can't read all of this out. It's very boring. Yeah. Something about charging vehicles. So, um, I'm, I'm a philistine and I drive a petrol car. I really should upgrade to, to um, an electric car at some point. But I'm yet to do it, so I don't understand all of these um, terminology. A very busy and active services station. Tons of food options and plenty of seating. To our surprise, it was cheap and clean. Stop for a meal and latte. It was clean enough, just mind your steps. You never know what you step in because people don't clean up after their dogs. But other than that, I have no reason to complain, to be honest. Weatherspoons Pub in a motorway services. Bonkers and brilliant at the same time. <laughs> it is quite odd having a pub in a motorway services, isn't it? Come to think of it, you don't usually see that. Uh, but they've got one here. Your passengers can take advantage of the Pound a Pint weekday specials while you wash down your all-day breakfast with one of their range of no or low alcohol drinks and pretend you're having as much fun as they are. <laughs> On a Monday at 1.30pm, the place was very quiet and food and drinks arrived pretty quickly after ordering via their app. Service was probably best described as functional when we were there. <laughs> Nothing actually wrong, but cheerfulness wasn't something that they were going to be entertained by the staff who were on there when we were there. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Lovely and big services. Big parking. Plenty of restaurant to choose from. The ambience is at its best. Toilets are clean and maintained to the highest standards. <laughs> ambience. It's very rare that you hear the word ambience. Uh, to describe a motorway services, but yeah, this this man has, has taken it upon himself to use that expression. Good range of shops can get very busy with long queues at certain times. Yeah, tell me about it, mate. Yeah, it's in the queue for Greg. A brilliant service area. Got a much better range of places to eat than other services, including a Weatherspoons. The place itself is very clean and tidy and has plenty of seating. The car park is large, but it can cause a bit of backup traffic to get into as it's not easy to choose which part to park in. It's not easy to choose which part to park in. Make a decision. Can't go wrong with this place, really. Besides the fact that there is not enough truck parking, there is many choices of food inside, but can always recommend the Weatherspoons. Great place to stop off for a break. Great all-day breakfast for around seven quid, which includes tea slash coffee refills. Always stop here if I'm on the M40. Busy place, but clean and good services on all points compared to the rush hours at all time. My first visit to an M-Way service station since before Covid, so worth a review. Popped into Starbucks because I love their cinnamon swirls. They have a comfy upstairs seating area that gets one out of the crowd. <laughs> Gets one out of the crowd. Weather fine and feeling positive after a smooth run round the north ring of the M25, I was in a good mood. Around nine-ish this morning, Sunday, so not too busy, staff on the ball and service prompt given the number of backed-up orders. Happy to revisit in the future. I like that. You just get a little insight into this guy's life, don't you? He's in a good mood on the M25. There we go. Meeting point or pick-up point for all friends and go together from there. 
comfortable and clean eatery. Fuel, stay, parking, toilets, a nice place. People smoke right outside the entrance. Beware of thieves. Truck resting place too. <laughs> That's a real stream of consciousness there. The next one says, uh, a hidden gem of a service station. <laughs> hidden gem? There's a big sign for it. Right by the motorway. It's hidden. A hidden gem of a service station. Fairly close to journey's end for me, but needs must after a long drive. I was pleasantly surprised with the selection of food outlets and overall facilities. Seemed more like a retail park. Definitely stop again as needed. Next one says, love it here. Lots of space, nice and light. The toilets are always nice and clean and hit water and soap. The kids park at the back is a great bonus. Good selection of food for all types of requirements slash preferences. Love coming here with family, friends and even for work meetings. <laughs> oh yeah, so we're here, so we're here. Next one, it is even more glowing. Awesome services. Good amount of eateries. Parking is decent. Toilets clean, nice to sit outside, easy to navigate. The central eating area is handy. Next one, a pretty good selection of food outlets for hungry truckers like me. It's hard work trying to find a space to park for the night if it's beyond a certain time. There's a lot of room for improvement with the shower facilities too. He's given it three out of five stars for that reason. No, this this one has, has written a, a seven-point list of um, of a review. Uh, they've given it five out of five. One, the best services ever. And I am not the only one saying this. Well, I know, I know. Two, Weatherspoons. That's the tweet. Oh, I see, I see uh, people say that on Twitter, don't they? Blah, 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 blah. That's the tweet, yes. Yeah, I, I'm up to speed on this trend. Yes, very good. Three, uh, choice of food. Good choice of food. <laughs> Four, always there is parking for three hours. <laughs> well, well, of course there is. Why would they change? <laughs> between 9am between and 10am, there's only space for two and a half hours. But the rest of the time, it's three hours. <laughs> um, five, hotel for staying if you need. Six, nice outdoor area for summer and a nice little walk. Seven, sometimes there is a wicked car show slash meetup where you can see awesome cars. Well, I wasn't expecting that either. This service so has a great selection of food on offer in transit attractive building. There is outdoor seating beside a pond. Still not as good as Gloucester and West Glormand, but the best of the rest. <laughs> this guy's been to a lot of different motorway services. <laughs> Wow, this guy's taking a picture of his um, his camper van, a Volkswagen camper van. Tangerine Dream was very happy. He's named his van Tangerine Dream. Very proud of himself, that one. Um, it's more of an advertisement for himself than, than for the, anything else. Um, good service station with an excellent amount of choices for takeaway food. Definitely one I aim for if going up or down the country in this area. Standard fuel prices for a service, so not recommended unless you need to top up. Plenty of car charging points, but can't vouch for the cost of that over other places. Very big choice of restaurants. Car park spaces are limited. It's a challenge to find a decent spot if you drive a bigger car. It's a busy place, 
so it can take a while before you will collect your order in <laughs> you and your just as the letter you so i was thrown off a little bit there but it wasn't going to stop me reading reading it out right surprisingly clean and a pleasant place to visit if you're hungry it seems to be an exact blueprint to cobham services on the m25 at least 10 different outlets from thai food to mcdonald's toilets are also clean prices reasonable for motorway services but not cheap fuel very expensive Overall, recommended. Quite a very busy place. <laughs> it was more than just a motorway filling station. It had a very wide range of shops and space where you could have a decent rest, eat, drink, and pick up one or two things. One of my favourite stops going to and from London. All kinds of food, big restrooms to handle the volume of people, when weather lovely outside areas <laughs> it's just random words mate great services for a pit stop 24 hour and has facilities for truckers as service stations go a winner all the usual plus leon mns food not sure a weather spoons on a motorway is the best idea but they have one of those too seemed clean and modern during our brief two visits over jubilee weekend Best of all was the lake slash large pond with play area and picnic seats. Perfect for stretching legs, walking the dog and breaking up a tedious car journey. Lots of choices. A bit confusing when you walk in to be confronted with a car parking machine. Need to clarify to ignore if less than three hours as it would be free. Well laid out and friendly staff. Always busy. Seems that there are some offbeat food stalls in here as well. Offbeat food stalls. What are they? This guy's given it um, uh, two stars. Uh, he says, okay, heaving on a Saturday lunchtime. As normal, they situate the toilets as far from the entrance as possible. Only fast food available. Why are these places so much better on mainland Europe? Now, that's interesting. You've answered a, a question of mine from earlier on there, my good friend. Um, so you reckon... These places are better on mainland Europe. I'm sure that they are. I'm just, uh, I've not been to one. So it's, uh, I'd, be, I'd be interested to see what they're like on mainland Europe and how they differ from different bits of mainland Europe. It's a big place, isn't it, mainland Europe? From country to country, I, I guess uh, there will be a lot of variation. This is my favourite service station, not going to lie. <laughs> I love it when people say that. It's, it's, it's a nice... <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to lie. I always pop in for a toilet break and some food whenever I pass the service station. <laughs> it sounds like he goes to the toilet when he doesn't even need to. I always pop in for a toilet break and some food whenever I pass the service station. Highly recommended if you're going to London. You'll almost always get caught in traffic, so stop here for a toilet break. I've made that mistake too many times. <laughs> so sometimes he stops for the loo when he doesn't need to go, and sometimes he doesn't stop for the toilet and then he pays the price when he gets to London. So it's uh, quite an insight into this man's life, really. Perfect spot for me to get away from the city and enjoy a little peace and a pond. <laughs> it's hardly it's, it's hardly like a nature reserve, pal. It's the motorway services. Take yourself to the beach or take yourself you know, take yourself to a proper lake. 
uh, or a forest somewhere. You know what I mean? It's just got a joy, a little piece of the pond. This, this is, this is not, this is not the way to get away from a city. I'm just, I'm not telling you how to live your life, but oh, good facilities on site. At times it can be busy, but we all got to get the good stuff right. <laughs> it is. I, I like that. We all got to get the good stuff right. I, 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 I fully uh, back you on that all the way. Well, well we better, we better draw this to a close now. To be honest, because there, there are literally there are thousands of these reviews, so I'm not going to read them all. Obviously, that would be that would be insane. I mean, it's insane anyway. Don't get me wrong, but um, it would be really insane if I read them all out. Um, but you know, half an hour of this is enough, isn't it? So, uh, <laughs> how do you like the new format of the foot? I'm not going to do this every time. I'll do something else next time. Um, it's just that um, I would just mixing things up a little bit by reading these reviews out. Uh, so I'll think of something to do for the next one. I'll do a different thing. Yeah, I'll do a different thing for each one. That's probably the best thing to do. And then, then we're not getting, uh, then the format isn't getting stale. I mean, we don't want things to get stale around here, do we? No. There's uh, just one more review because this one's intrigued me quite a bit. And uh, then we'll finish up. Um, rude staff. And I was told to go there by the police. And when got the fix the number plate, another police car had a word. I've stopped her a few times. And always the police have had a chat with me over nothing. The police are bored here. Be careful. What's going on there? Every time they go there, the police have a word with them. And the, they were told to go there by the police. <laughs> there's more to that story, isn't there? I don't know what... There's more to it. As I say, I could go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. But I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Thankfully, you wouldn't want me to, would you? I wouldn't want to. I'd get bored. Um, I'm kind of bored now. <laughs> So it's, just, it's a good place to stop, isn't it? Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, next time we'll do something completely different. So we'll uh, I'll figure out what to do for next time. And, um, yeah, over and out. Until then. <laughs>